new church and we're in a season of new vision uh, that you guys have been so faithfully giving. Um, and, and I know sometimes these are weird topics, giving, serving. Uh, and I know like sometimes we like to just pretend someone else is going to take care of it. Thank you. Would you grab that for me? Oh, yes. Thank you. That's better. Um, <laughs> We like to pretend that someone else is going to take care of it. But I appreciate that we have a church of people that step up and care and worship through serving and giving and living generously, uh, living abundantly. And so I just, I want to say that Katie and I really appreciate you guys. I appreciate those of you who serve. I appreciate those of you who serve on our board. We really value you, value what you do. Appreciate those of you who serve in our kids' areas. Um, and, and I got to say... There's this fear that I had going into the summer because we came from a culture where everyone would leave and just assume, like, it was someone else's job to make church happen. Like, the mission of God will go on hold. Um, but then, like, I feel like I've just been so blessed to see this month how people have been stepping up and saying, no, like, I want to live on mission. I want to be about mission. And, and I just encourage you in every area of your life, whether it's here or, or out in the streets and in your city and wherever you are, uh, don't ever put the mission on hold. Carson always says passion never goes on pause, right? Come on. Uh, so I just, I believe, man, God's been doing great things. The funniest thing to me about church is... Uh, <laughs> that all the new people come in the summer and then all the regulars that are gone all the time come back in the fall and are like, who are these people? And it's like, this is the church, welcome back. Are you new? And then we... Um, also, if you haven't gotten to our cafe, please go buy a coffee cola, because it's aces. It's pretty good. Um, well, we're in the middle of our Acts series. We're approaching uh, the end of our Acts series. And actually, next week we're really blessed because uh, the incredible Doug is gonna be sharing with us uh, next week. Uh, to kind of close out our series, prepare us for Father's Day, all these good things. Um, but we're just excited that you joined us here. Would you pray with me? I believe the Lord is bringing a word this morning. And uh, it's just a lot working through in my heart. So I'd love to bring clarity if you'd be with me this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can gather together and worship you. We thank you that we can glorify you, God. We thank you that we can praise you. We thank you that we can lift you up and that you're here with us. And so we give you this time. We give you this moment in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Can you give it up for the team this morning? Amen. Well, this morning, if you brought your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts 10. And it's listed in your Bible as the conversion of Cornelius, some of you. Uh, but this morning, I'm really going to talk about the conversion of Peter while I drink this coffee. And this morning, we're talking about perspective and Really, two Ps this morning, perspective and prejudice. <laughs> whose, phone, whose phone is this? There you go, Nick. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I should have just answered it. Um, we're talking about perspective and prejudice. Be like, why didn't he invite you to church? Um, perspective and prejudice <laughs> this morning. And uh, it... Excited that you're here with us. This is a message that God has really been weighing on my heart. And as I was thinking through a lot of things this week and a lot of things this month, and then we came up upon really uh, chapter 10, and I love how the Holy Spirit does that, that as things are happening in your life, and I feel like even happening in this country, in this place, that all of a sudden we encounter them uh, in Scripture. And I love how that lines up. That's not called luck or happenstance. That's the Holy Spirit. We believe that he's moving things. So um, I, I'd like to start out with basically two volunteers who'd be willing to help me with an example this morning, if I can find this thing. If, if you could, anybody want to volunteer? I see two people real quick. Raise your hand if you want to volunteer. I'm going to pick you. Boom. Come on up. 
perfect. Thank you. Come on up. You can just stand right here. One more person. Let's see. Jimmy, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for jumping up at once. Stay calm. It's fine. Here's what I want to do. Um, you guys can stay on the stage. You're fine. Or it's on the floor. You're fine. Um, a lot of what we know is based off of what we can see, experience, understand. And so I made this little card here. And you guys stand. I just want you to stand arm's length from this card. So kind of get close enough that your arm's length. That's pretty close for Jimmy. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and I just want you to tell me what's on, what, what is this that I'm holding? What is it? What makes it up? What's on it? What, what is it? Okay, perfect. What is it? Mine has a frowny face. So this is a green piece of paper with a smiley face. This is a green piece of paper with a frowny face. True? Yeah, you know, I try to do what I can here. So as you see it, as you perceive it with all of your senses in this moment when you're encountering it from the distance where you are, from your perspective, smiley face, frowny face. Good? Can you come over and stand over here so you can just stand right next to her? This is really simple. It's not trick. It's just really easy. I want to get this. Jimmy, what is this? Exactly. Perfect. It's a smiley face. When you were over here and it was a frowny face, were you wrong? No. But when you're over here, when your perspective changed, what is it now? It's a smiley face. So we have this card for those of you guys who can't see. It's got two things on it. It's got a frowny face and a smiley face. I don't know why I picked those two things. I could have picked literally anything, like a word or anything. I don't know why I went frowny face. I figured in a culture of emojis it works. But here's, here's what I want to say, and here's how I want to I begin talking this morning, is that a lot of what we know is based off our perspective and where we're positioned. And y you didn't position yourself. I put you there. So you, an outside factor put you where you were, and this is what you viewed. And you both viewed something different, and you weren't wrong. You just viewed it differently from two different places. And so what happens in our life is our perspective is often based off our position. And if we reposition ourselves near someone with a different perspective, all of a sudden things change. Our perspective changes. Our ideas change. Our thoughts change. And oftentimes we're locked in, in a cross battle with another person. And I believe that God so often wants to change our perspective to adjust how we see things. And this morning... When I'm talking about perspective, when I'm talking about prejudice, I'm not saying because you're over here and you're looking at it, you're wrong. Or you're wrong because you see a smiley face. It's really a frowny face. But what I'm saying is this is obviously something important. This is small. But imagine if there's something really important right here. A really important issue. A really important thought. A really important idea. A really important part of the community or the culture. And I believe that God wants to reposition us to open our heart and open our eyes this morning. Can we do that this morning, church? You guys can be seated. Give it up for them this morning. Perfect. Thank you. You know, a lot of our thinking, like we said, is based on uh, what we know or what we're taught or what we experience. And all of our experiences, we, we come from, in this place, all kinds of different backgrounds. We're different kinds of people, different types of people, different personalities of people. And often, like, like just with this example, our position a.k.a. like how we grew up or how we were raised or what we've seen or what we've read or what we know will we'll dictate our perspective on certain things. And sometimes, obviously, perspective is good. Perspective is important. But a lot of times in our life, our perspective will lead to certain prejudice. So 
again, and, and I want you to walk with me because this is a sermon about grace this morning, is that our perspective will lead to prejudice because prejudice comes into our life when we believe that our perspective is the scale of judgment for other people. Is that when we believe if I'm standing on one side of this card, that my perspective is now the scale of judgment for other people. And prejudice comes in when I think because you see a frowny face that you are somehow lesser than me because my perspective is greater. When we put ourselves in the, in the position, the scale of judgment of other people. Think of it like this. If you're driving down the freeway, when I, when I first moved here, I did not realize people could drive so fast and so recklessly in one state. It's like everyone got together and said, I know we're coming from Wisconsin and Michigan, but what if we just all drove like we were blindfolded and running from the cops? Like what if we just all got together and said, let's just not care about the speed, which <laughs> what we travel, and turn signals are relative. Let's rip them out. Let's ignore road signs. <laughs> let's drive over people. Day two I was here, I saw a truck drive over another car. Never in my life. It's probably the liberal Northwest. No one would imagine that. He probably got a medal or something. I don't know. Because <laughs> he drove over a Prius, and I know how people here are about Priuses. Um, <laughs> but in our life, in my life, I, I, here's how, and this is a simple example, but the person who drives faster than you, whatever, pick a speed, whatever speed you drive, uh, and we're just going to believe it's a speed limit because you're upstanding citizens. <laughs> whatever speed you drive on the freeway is the right speed. The person driving faster than you is a maniac. The person driving slower than you is an idiot. And then you get out of your way. <laughs> Because we put ourselves in the position of judgment and everything is relative to us. So we are at the center in traffic. We are at the center when it comes to money. Someone who is richer than you either was given it, either must then, I guess, work harder than you, must be, maybe they think they're more blessed than you, or you look down on them because, you know, how could they ever have any kind of problems? They have more money than I do. Someone who's poorer than you, maybe you have thought in your life, this isn't everybody, I'm just throwing an example, so don't get hurt. You've thought, oh, well, they just need to work harder. They just, you know, I, they just need to grind it out and get a job, and they just need to do these things. Right? We put ourselves all the time in the position of judgment in the center as human beings, whether you are more of a majority or more of a minority or if you have experienced this or not experienced this, we put ourselves in the position and so the person that drives faster than us is a maniac and the person who drives slower than us is an idiot regardless and the person driving slower than you thinks you're a maniac and the person driving faster than you thinks you're an idiot. <laughs> and we live our life in almost complete judgment of one another because we put ourselves in the center, and everything is relative than us. And that's because of our fallen nature, right? We are prone to justify ourselves and condemn those who are different. It's part of sin nature. We're prone to justify our actions to give grace to ourselves. We're prone to judge others based according to outward characteristics or group dynamics or visual association rather than the fact that they are a human being on equal par with us, a child of God. And so what we're looking at here in Acts 10 is this idea of prejudice because we, we come in and we begin to judge people. And I, and I know there's people in this place who are thinking like, no, 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 this is postmodernism. I'm an elevated person. We don't judge people. We're very tolerant. Listen, I come from the city of fake tolerance. I know that lie. And it's not true. 
It's not. We all in our life have some bias or prejudice. And since I can't put that on on you, I will at least say of myself, I have my own biases, my own prejudices that I constantly have to work out. And if you're a sinner like me, then you're in the right church and we can work on this together and be together. If you don't have any prejudices, then I don't know, you must be Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> Because everybody around Jesus had prejudices. But we had this idea coming into it. I, it's funny. I uh, was a student of philosophy. I uh, have a degree in philosophy through the University of Washington. And I, and I really value philosophers. But something that cracks me up is Greek philosophers. Everyone's like, oh, of course. It's so funny. But Greek philosophers had this idea. Aristotle. Aristotle, that's smart. That's a smart name. Even if you've never read Aristotle, you're like, I, I think that's a smart thing. Right? <laughs> is that the Greeks, they would associate either Greek or barbarian. You were one or the other. You were either Greek or you were a barbarian. And barbarian came with this idea that you spoke barbar. You were basically babbling. You couldn't even put sentences together. You were a dullard, all these things. And Aristotle himself, in just the wisdom and, you know, he's just such an elevated thinker, said and had this idea that the Greeks lived in the ideal climate where you were at, it basically, because it was warm enough, it built the right kind of person that you could think well. And so if you lived in Greece, you were a good thinker. They didn't mean as hot as here. They meant like Greece hot. It, if you could be a good thinker, and then you would be wise, you would be smart, the kind of people that it really took to build a culture. Not savages, really smart people. But they were weak, so they needed army, you know, arms and weapons and things. And then they believed the barbarians, the people from the north, were strong because it was cold and tough. And so they were strong, but they were complete idiots. And they couldn't build anything. They couldn't make anything. They were savages. And so even at the height of what we consider a classical understanding, they still had deep, 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 deep prejudice. They still had deep ideas that they were the center, that everything was relative to them, and they would justify themselves and condemn everyone else. And what happens is it builds a divide, because prejudice in every society builds a divide. But I want to say this morning that if we put to death our prejudice, we will see the release of our purpose. That as a church, if we can get on this idea of not being like, oh, I'm not prejudiced, oh, I don't, I don't ever have any biases in my life and this faux tolerance. If we could really address it as messy and difficult and hard as it is, if we could with grace address it and say, I'm going to put to death my prejudice and be released into my purpose. And this morning, that's what we're going to look at. Are you with me? Amen. Wow, that was like a very unified yes. Wow, that was good. Good job. Uh, and I, I think we see in Acts 10 really a freedom of the gospel. So I'm going to begin to read. We'll stop a couple times and explain it. Because this is really, uh, uh, for us, one of the most profound moments that occurs uh, in the book of Acts. And it starts in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. It says this, and I'm reading out of ESV. Uh, and then if you have a different version, just roll along. It's all the same. Um, it says, at Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. 
And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So real quick, Cornelius, the, who gets this vision here, is a Roman centurion. Centurion, uh, century, it comes from this, this word defining a hundred. So he's in charge of a hundred men. And he's in charge of a hundred men in what was called the Italian cohort in the city of um, Caesarea. And so in Caesarea, it was this really strong capital of Roman activity for the region. And the Italian cohort uh, soldiers were people in the Roman Empire who volunteered they weren't chosen. That's a big difference. The kind of people that choose to go to war for the Roman Empire are a much different breed than those who are forced to, right? The kind of person who volunteers is a little different than the kind of person who gets forced to go. So they're very devoted is what this means, very devoted uh, Romans. But it says in Scripture that he worshipped God even though he wasn't Jewish. So it says he was respected. It says he worshipped the Lord. But he was a centurion. He was part of the Roman Empire. And to give context here, the Roman Empire was an occupying force, right? Think of it, uh, Nazi Germany occupying France, right? This is an occupational force. There has been evil done at the hands. They have subjugated and defeated and committed all kinds of atrocities, right? Crucifixion being one of the things they bring into the culture, right? And so the Jewish people, even though uh, they respect Cornelius as a whole, they hate the Romans, hate them. They would not sit with them. They would not talk to them. They would not eat with them. And so there's years and years and years of hatred and oppression and the Jewish people existing as this minority that was oppressed by the Romans, and so what happens in Acts 10 is there's an encounter between two people that society would have only seen a radical divide between. Now, Scripture, what we have learned in Acts is that the gospel had begun to go out to Samaria and some other places. And it was kind of like these happenstance moments of, of encounter and different things that were surprising. But in this moment, we see all of this prejudice come face to face with an encounter and the gospel reigns supreme. And so let's keep reading Acts 10, 9. This is where it gets interesting. It says uh, in verse 9, The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. While they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw that the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Some uh, verses say impure or unclean. And a voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common or impure. This happened three times and the thing was taken up to heaven. So Peter goes up and he's hungry and he falls into a trance on the roof. And he begins to have a vision, a God-given vision of a sheet being let down. And on the sheet, you're like, why are there lizards on a sheet? What 
does this have to do with any kind of prejudice? But all of these things are brought down on the sheet. And what is on this sheet, what he is looking at is all of the different animals that God had said were unclean for the people of Israel to eat. So when God, here's a little context, when God takes the people out of uh, Egypt, when he frees them, when he's bringing them to the promised land, he makes a covenant with them. They're given the law, they're given the Mosaic law, they're given the ceremonial law. And in this law, they were told, here are the things you do not eat, right? You don't eat, you know, uh, certain like shellfish, you don't eat pigs, you don't eat certain things, right? You don't eat reptiles, you don't eat, insects, you know, you just don't eat these certain things. And he, and he desired for his people to be set apart, he, God desired for the people of Israel because he was taking them from slavery to the promised land and he didn't want anything to mess with that. He wanted them to be set apart. He, be, he gave them things that would set them away, including food. Food is a major part. It was a part of worship. Offerings of food were given. It was a part of life together. And so his desire was that they would be clean. And so there was this thinking and understanding that uh, if you ate clean things, you were clean. If you purified at the temple, you were clean. But if you ate unclean things, you were then, everybody knows what is it? Unclean. So if you ate unclean things, you were unclean. So now people were unclean. And there was a separation. Obviously, I don't have the, like the whole sermon to go into uh, this idea of ceremonial law. But there was this understanding, and just kind of get this, that there were certain people who were different than I am who were unclean. They ate unclean things, they did unclean things, they were unclean. And so I didn't want to be near them because I didn't want to get unclean. And so this vision happens three times. Three is kind of Peter's lucky number. If uh, you're familiar with Peter, uh, three is a big thing for him. Three is the get attention number. We joked at my men's group uh, the other night that some of us have like 25,000 as our lucky number where God gets our attention finally. But Peter had three. He was a good student. But Peter denies Christ three times before his crucifixion. Peter, when he's reinstated, is asked three times, do you love me? And commanded, feed my sheep. And in this moment, he's given the, the vision three times. And this is what I think is funny about Peter, is that God gives him the vision. He brings us down. He says, Peter, eat these foods. And Peter says, no, to God. He says, no, I can't. And God's like, why? And he's like, well, we're not supposed to eat those. And he said, God says, who says? And Peter's like, well, I mean, I guess you say, <laughs> you say don't eat these. But now you're saying to eat them. So Peter is understandably confused. Does everyone understand that this would be confusing? You've been taught since you were a kid that God says, do not eat this. Do not do this. You're a student of the law. You're trying your best. And, and yet Jesus comes. He begins to talk to you. And you're still wrestling with it. You're still grasping it. You haven't really got the book yet. You sure as heck haven't seen the movie. You know, you're wrestling with, like, what's going on. And then God gives you a vision three times. So you know you should probably pay attention. And he says, eat this. And you're like, yeah, but you told us to not, <laughs> to not do this. So Peter's confused. But Peter tells God no. Peter had a weird habit of doing this. God says, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to take your sins. Peter says, never. God's like, hold up. <laughs> mm. Right? Peter says, I'll never leave you. He says, you're going to leave me. He says, I'll never do it. In this moment, God says, get up and eat. Peter says, no. God told us, well, you told us that we couldn't do that. Peter has a habit of saying a no. And I want to tell you this morning that God will often give you the vision before he gives you the details. 
that in our life and in my life, God will often begin to reveal the vision and give vision before he gives details. And he wants to know what's our response going to be to the vision. Is it, I'm going to wait till I get the details before I obey, before I listen, before I care? Or am I going to pursue the Lord? Am I going to step into? Because God wants to do big things through Peter, but he hasn't given him the details yet. Because there's no faith in details. There's no trust in details. There's only control. And God wants to stretch Peter. I believe this morning, and as I was praying about this, I believe that God has given such a great vision to this church and a new vision and a new vision to some of you where he's beginning to awaken dreams and he's beginning to awaken visions in your life and he's beginning to, to well that up and you're like, I, I don't know what to do. And he's already begun to move your soul before he's given you clear direction. He's already begun to well up dreams in your life and to well up vision in your life. And the response is either, yes, God, I follow you, I step into it, or I'm not going to move till I have the details. And let me tell you, if you're waiting for the details, you're going to miss the dream every time. And I think what God does all the time and what stretches us, what gets us, I don't know if it's ever got you like it's got me, is that when God gives a new vision, it means he's going to do a new thing. But I kind of like things the way they are. I like my habits. I like the people I'm with. I, I like the city I grew up in. I like those things. But when God brings a new vision, it's going to look different. And, and church, hear me when I say that God has given a vision to this church and a vision in your life to reach the city, to reach this world, to reach this nation, to change lives, to intersect in a marketplace, to connect with people, to minister to people, to bring people in that never thought they'd be a part of a church, to use you, to minister to parts of your family that you thought unreachable. And God's simply saying, will you start with yes, and then we'll get to the details. Just because you don't know how it's going to work doesn't mean it won't, right? And that Peter, his past understanding, his position, how he's always looked at something, how he's always looked at the law, how he's always looked at it, even though he saw Jesus, it was like this. And God's trying to push him over here so that he can get a new perspective on it. Because if he gets a new perspective, he'll see it in its entirety. It's not that he was wrong. It's not that Christ came to abolish the law, but that he came to fulfill it. And so Peter has to see both sides, the law that I grew up with and the Christ that I gave my heart to. And when I understand that, I'm going to understand what he wants to do in the whole world. And so God ministered to his heart because Peter's prejudice was messing with his purpose. It was distorting it. It was twisting it. And God said, I'm going to move on your heart because I got big plans. I got big plans, Banner Church. I got big plans. I got big things. But you got to move on your heart and shift your perspective. Let's keep reading. Are we together still this morning? Amen. Let's, uh, let's continue in verse 17. It says, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed, fair, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, remember Cornelius sent two servants and a soldier. <laughs> remember Christians weren't super amped on soldiers showing up to their house. Get that context. Roman soldier shows up, you're thinking probably jail or death. It's never like... Here's a goodie basket. It's bad things. So Peter was inwardly perplexed what he had seen. And it says, uh, men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, 
Behold, three men are looking for you. See, his heart was ready. His heart was moved. So he's listening to the Spirit. He says, rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason you are coming? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, an upright God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. And get this line, this is important, it's small, but it's big. Sometimes the smallest parts are so big. So he invited them in to be his guests. So Peter in this moment is inwardly perplexed. He has no idea, what does this have to do with food? Like, what does lizards have to do with like what I'm supposed to go do? What does any of this have to do? And in this moment, he hears the Holy Spirit say, there's men here to see you. And when he opens the door, I can guarantee you because of cultural context, he never anticipated who was standing at his doorstep. He, he never would have anticipated that it would have been a soldier and two uh, Gentile servants. He would have never uh, expected that to happen. But I think it's interesting that God had already, if we look at what's happening, begin to move Peter in his heart. And God will begin to move in small ways before he does big things. And that God had already begun to change his heart and that si uh, Peter was living with Simon the Tanner. And some of what was happening, obviously we, we get tanning, animal skins, death, all these things. Some of what was happening uh, in the house of, of working around dead animals in unclean situations would have been deemed unclean. So Peter is already living in a part of a situation and interacting in a way where he's wrestling with, I have the gospel to share, but I'm also like coming face to face with all the ceremonial stuff. So I'm wrestling with it. And so God brought him to a place where he began to wrestle with his, his biases. And so even though the Gentiles show up and he's surprised, uh, he responds differently than most Jewish people would have responded. Because the standard Jewish person, if a Roman centurion, if I just showed up to Terry, and Terry's Jewish, and I showed up to her house, and I was like, hey, we need you, their response would be, why don't you go to the inn and get a room? And then they would have shut the door. We're like, that sounds harsh. I'm like, well, that's how it was. They would have been like, why don't you go somewhere else, away from my home, and then they would have shut the door, they would have never responded. In fact, there are prayers, Jewish prayers, that they would pray, that would pray that they would not come across the path of a Gentile or interact or have any good thing befall a Gentile. So the, the prayer, the, the idea of life is, God, there's these people, has anyone ever said that, these people, those people, and I don't want to interact with them. But it says that Peter invites them in. Why does he invite them in? Because God began to change his heart. God will bring things close in order to change your heart. I really believe that. See, Peter invited people in that he would, have, he would have never invited in. He saw a vision to eat something he never imagined that he would eat. But God brought it close. And when God began to bring it close, when God began to bring it to his doorstep, it began to hit close to his heart. That's a funny thing. When things start hitting close to home, they start changing our heart. It's one thing to have a tragedy a thousand miles away. It's one thing to have it in your home. And so when it came into his home, he had a decision if it was going to change his heart. I think of it like this. I made another. I used some of the kids' supplies. So luckily, Carson's not here, so he won't get mad. Uh, <laughs> But I thought of it like this. If I hold this card up, how many of you can read what that says? Just raise your hand. Don't say what it reads. How many can you, of you can read? Perfect. If I come, well, you guys are all, that's fine. Sorry. 
How many in the back rows, how many of you can read what this says? Just raise your hand. All right, if I come here. Tom, can you read this yet? Raise your hand when you can read it. Now you can read it. What does it say? I have pretty bad handwriting. So I was Perfect. So here's my point this morning. This distance right here from when I walked to when we encounter, when we close that distance, we build compassion. We build connection. It's easy to be prejudiced against something that you are distant from because you cannot see it. There's easy to be distant from situations in our city and our community and needs of families and people because we're far enough that we have an excuse that we can't see it. Now, when it comes to you and it's near you and it's right in front of your face, all of a sudden you care. I, I had a meeting with uh, a great gal who came to our church this week who does, um, it's called Heart Encouragement Ministers uh, to people going through uh, cancer and uh, basically the whole process, radiation, everything, all of these things. And she talked about nobody really cares till it gets close. We have all these thoughts, whether they be prejudice or race or ideas. We have all of these things, whether it be uh, need, people in need or families in need. We have all of these ideas and preconceived notions because we're far away. But the closer you get, the better perspective you have. See, when I'm far away from people... I just have to go by what, like, the media tells me, what I see, what someone else might tell me. If I were to ask Tom from this distance, what does this card say, he, he couldn't necessarily tell me. So who's going to tell him? You're going to have to ask someone in front of you and in front of you and in front of you and in front of you. And there's, there's a separation. But when I bring it close, there's a clarity. I mean, unless he's got eagle eyes and he's just playing me. But there's a closeness that occurs in that moment. That's why a missionary will go to a country that I can't even draw on a map with the people I don't even know how to pronounce, and will come back with a burning desire and then stare at the rest of us like, how can you not care about this? And we're like, well, I don't even know what you're talking about, and I'm struggling to pronounce it because we're not near. That's why missions is so important because we need people to go be near. But I really believe that in verse 23, what we see when it says, so he invited them in to be his guests, is that the shackles of prejudice begin to fall away because closeness is what fuels compassion. When we're close to something, we care. When we're close to something, it moves us. It's easy to be arm's length, but when it comes and stands on our doorstep, it touches our heart. It forces us to care because people are people. When they're far away, we can lump them in. When they're near, we have to deal with it. We have to face. We look them in the eye and realize, man, you're just like me. You're going through what I'm going through. God made you. He made me. He loves you. He loves me. And when I see you, this group on the TV, I lump them. When I shake their hand, when I invite them in, when I begin to talk, that's when it changes. We, we came from an area where there was a lot of dialogue and people would stand on the street corners and they would protest. And I would ask people, like, what, when was the last time you had one of the people in this group into your home? Because I did last week and we had a great conversation and there were tears and there was a wrestling and there was, we didn't agree on everything. But closeness fuels compassion. I think we all have a choice, just like Peter did. When God brings it close to home, will you allow it to move your heart? 
When God brings the need, whether it be uh, in our community or in your life or sickness, whether it be um, the calling on your life, whether it be the people you're called to, whether it be the, the things you like to avoid, when God brings it close, will I respond, will I invite it in or will I shut it out? I think all the time we ask, what is my purpose? What has God called me to do? What has he called me to do? And oftentimes we forget the who, and I just think, who has God brought to your doorstep? Who has God brought in your city? Who has God brought in your past? There are people in your office that you cannot stand, and you have notions and ideas about, and, and they're a personality that you don't like, and yet God has brought them to your home. They brought them close to home, close to your heart, so that your heart might be changed, so it might be moved, because God says nothing is beyond the gospel. Acts 10, 23, are you still with me this morning? So, so he invited them in to be his guests, and the next day they rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers of Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. So just more Gentiles, just a building full of Gentiles. When Peter entered, Gentile means non-Jewish. People are like, what is Gentile? Non-Jewish. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves, he's talking to the people, know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone <clears throat> of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection, and I asked why you sent for me. So then Cornelius explains the vision that I read to you earlier. Something amazing is happening, and, and I want us to, to just get it. If you get anything, wake your neighbor up, tell them it's time to get it. You know, whatever you got to do so that if you see someone sleeping, just shake them. Uh, but that Peter makes a super crucial connection here is that there is this thinking that when God said the people were unclean, or said the food was unclean, that all these people were unclean, and that they shouldn't associate, they shouldn't touch, they shouldn't be near. And so now when God is saying, Peter makes this connection, when God's saying, this is clean, and then he brings them to the to people that he thought was unclean, and says, now they're clean, he begins to build this connection. See, Jesus had already kind of said this to Peter, but he's a slow learner. Anyone here a slow learner? I'm a slow learner. Shout out to the slow learners. Uh, <laughs> We, we got hard heads, but we survived. Um, as Jesus actually said this, Jesus tells his disciples, don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside can defile them, for it doesn't, for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Even Paul, Paul like the, the like captain of being a strong Jewish person, and following the law originally, as Saul in Colossians says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or in regard to religious festival, new moon or Sabbath. They are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. See, the principle, and I, I want us to get this, of clean food was for a purpose. Like I said, when they were brought out of Israel, the, the goal was to keep them healthy and holy. And so when you're in a land, there's just certain things you should not eat or you will get sick. And, there's, and they travel through areas, and as was common in this time, when a people that had eaten a type of food and been in a kind of place and suffered a kind of diseases met a new people that they have never encountered, that's when diseases would spread, there would be plagues, there would be all kinds of things. And so what was put in to keep them healthy eventually made them racist. 
and what was put in to keep them holy. Mind you, God knew his people, and a lot of the practices that exist religiously were based around sex. And God knew what he made was good, but he didn't want people messing with it bad. Does that make sense? And he knew, I'm going to take these people that have been wandering in the desert, and they're going to come across temples with beautiful women and lush food, and they're going to think, that looks pretty awesome. I think we should get on that. I think we should be a part of that. And so God began to set his people apart to be healthy and holy. But when Jesus came, he said he came for the Jew, then the Gentile. And he fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. In Isaiah 11:10, that says, a root from the branch of Jesse will rise up and he will call all nations under, under his banner. Right? That's where we get banner church from. John 12, 32, he says, Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people from all nations unto myself. But the people had a mixed up idea. It's kind of like this. Has anyone been to a foreign country and been warned, don't maybe eat here because you're going to get sick? Right? And it's not a knock on the, the people or the thing. It's just kind of like you're used to eating this food. It's going to respond a little different. And so that's kind of your choice. Like do you want to have diarrhea for the next decade or do you, do you want to eat somewhere else that's kind of like approved? So you guys have traveled. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, and it's not a knock, but where it changes, where prejudice arises, is when all of a sudden the, the concern about, about cleanliness and holiness and, and, and not um, getting into that mess yourself, if it switches and all of a sudden you say, oh, yeah, this might be dirty, to these people are dirty, and I, I'm the standard of what's clean, and therefore they're dirty, and their people are dirty, this country is dirty, anyone who comes from this country is dirty, there begins to arise prejudice. And that is what has happened, is that what was initially supposed to set them apart to make way for the Messiah, all of a sudden became a designator that everyone else is dirty and unclean and that they should. I'm not saying that, I'm not wiping away sin here. <laughs> I'm saying that just as people, they were lesser. As people, they were just lesser. This group of people, they were just lesser. And so when Jesus comes, he changes it. And in this moment, and get this moment, Peter realizes that prejudice is what will keep the gospel from going throughout the whole world. It wasn't a military force. It wasn't even persecution. That helped, actually. It was prejudice. Hear me, church, that prejudice putting divides between us and others, considering others lesser because they're different. That is what will kill the church. That is what will keep us from growing because we'll only grow with people that we know and we like. There's not as much applause on that one. That's fair. <laughs> what God has called clean, let no one call unclean. If God came for everyone, I can't decide against them getting the grace, right? If God came to bring his grace for everyone, I can't say, no, you don't get it. I mean, I'm not going to give it to you, right? I can't say that. Acts 10, 34. So, so Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and is acceptable him, as for the word that he said to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John pro proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. He's preaching the gospel here. And with power, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witness of all that he did, both in country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to 
death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness and sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness. He called them to the nations, but they didn't realize because their prejudice limited who they believed they were called to go to. And prejudice will limit our ability to reach this city if we only believe that people like us, people who have treated us like we want to be treated, people who think like us, look like us, act like us, are like us, are in our state of cleanness, whatever you think that might be, drive as fast as us or slow as us, we will be limited and handed and destroyed as a church if we do not lay down our prejudice. And so what happens? I love this part. This is so good. We should be excited as people because this was good for us and our very, very long, little, long time ago ancestors. <laughs> While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They didn't mind them hearing the gospel, but they were shocked that the Holy Spirit valued them enough to fall on them. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing this people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Preaches the gospel. People are filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says to those who, who preached, you have to follow till this time, this law, the law of circumcision. I'm not even going to explain all that. You can, I don't, maybe don't Google it. Ask your neighbor. Um, all these things, they preached all these things. He looks at those people and he says to them who are prejudiced, who, who would never have chosen the Gentiles, he says, should we keep them from being baptized? And they're like, well, I guess not. The Holy Spirit approved it, so I guess it's approved, right? If God says it's good, then we're good. And so the Holy Spirit falls. And what we see in Acts 10 is that when we lay down our prejudice, we will be released into our purpose. If we pretend that we do not have bias, that we do not have prejudice, we'll miss it. Because we'll limit it. See, God called his church to all the nations, but like I said, they only went to the Jews of those nations. And so they missed the full potential. They had a good thing, but they missed a God thing. And any Gentile con conversions were just totally unplanned. But remember, God has a new vision. God has a vision for this church. God has a vision for your life. But sometimes when he gives us a vision, we're not surprised by the what, we're surprised by the who. God, why would you bring me here? I'm not like any of these people. God, why would you bring me to these places? I'm not like these people. I don't know how to connect to these people. God, I don't know if you called me to this office because look what these people are like. Look what they're like. Why would you call me here? God, I don't know about this whole like Jesus thing, church thing. I don't know if I look like church people. I don't own a Hillsong album and I've never had ripped jeans. Am I, am I this way? This is the tightest pair of pants I have. <laughs> <laughs> Do I look like these people? I don't know. <laughs> you know, God, I just think that if all those people stopped causing problems, they wouldn't have problems and then we wouldn't have to deal with it. 
God, I think if everybody who looked like this was this race, this gender, this nationality, if they just stopped making problems, people stopped beating on them, they stopped doing their thing, I wouldn't have to stand up for anything because they would just solve their issues. God, am I really called to that? The other one I was thinking is, God, you have no idea what so-and-so or those people have done to us, done to me. That's what the Jews are saying. God, you have no idea what the Romans have done to me. And God says, I know exactly what they've done to me. I know what you've done to me. And while we were still enemies, I came and I loved you and I died for you and I saved you. Though you were aligned as my enemy, I saw you and I loved you. So what do you care if they're my enemy? I died for them too. I'm not a God of enemies. I'm a God of grace. I'm a God of mercy. I'm a God of unity. When God says this, when he comes in this moment, he says, my gospel is for everyone. See, when Peter lays down his prejudice, he's released to this greater purpose. He's the rock that the church is built on. He sees profound movement. And God is doing a new thing. But we, we have to lay down our prejudice. We have to lay down our bias. We have to shift our perspective. We got to get near people. We got to get connected to people. Because God wants to do something, but he doesn't want us, want us to limit it. We can't draw a line on who receives grace or not from us. See, people are messy. And sometimes our prejudice, if we're going to be honest, isn't just against like a people group. It's against people in general. We do not like to give grace to people. Because people, a lot of the time, spoiler alert, suck. And they do mean stuff to you. And they treat you like garbage. And then we're told by Jesus we're supposed to give grace. And he says, do what I do. And you're like, man, they crucified you and you still forgave them. You couldn't let it slip one time? And just really let someone have it at the office. Really just dug in and gave him the full gusto and just laid it out and said, I'm not going to give grace to this dude. This guy's out of control. But oftentimes our prejudice is, is against and our bias and our perspective is one that refuses to give grace. We used to be so gracious and now we're just so bitter. We used to be so loving. And now we just, we, we just look at people like they're idiots. And we treat them like they're dumb. And we treat them... With a lack of grace. And God is saying, can you release that prejudice against people? Because I love them and I called you to love them. I think God is about building bridges. I'm going to invite the band up this morning. God is about building bridges, not divides. See, sin divides us. Divides us from God. And I, and I know Christ talks about his word and coming in and, and, and certain things using that same word divide. But don't, don't get hum, hung up on that contextually. Is that God came in to build bridges and that sin divided us from the Lord. Sin divided us from God. But you know what the sin nature, the fallen nature does? It divides us from one another. And so much of our world is busy digging a trench between one another. Really the only thing we're getting good at working together as people sometimes is just digging a build bigger divide between one another. And we build this separation. But God's grace is meant to be a bridge. God's grace is meant to be a connection. God's grace is meant to be a unity. God's grace is meant to bring together. Is that Satan wants us to be divided. The enemy wants us to be divided. The enemy wants you to come into this church and he wants you to think, I don't look like these people. Or those people are church people, so I must not be like them. Or God wants you to think, you know, my people have been treated this way, so there's no place for me. Or there's no ministry and no one dresses or looks like me or acts like me. Or someone's different. Or here's all the ways that we're different. Here's all the way that we're separated. Here's all the way that we're unique. Here's all the way that, that we shouldn't work together. And God is like, what are you talking about? That is the beauty of the church. The beauty of the church is that there's no reason we should get along. Like, I would not know Scott. 
if it weren't for the church? Where are we, where are we gonna like connect? We work different jobs, different places, we come from different backgrounds, we have different passions, but we can connect. And I can stand with you when you suffer, I can stand near you when you hurt, I can stand in your corner when someone oppresses you, I can believe in you, I can trust in you, I can, I, we can talk about the same hope, we can be connected, though we're, to- we're different. We share the same, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit darker than you, that's about it. Like we're pretty close. <laughs> That's about it. That's our only connection. And the world tells us, well, you guys should, you know, just be all a part of the same group. But we know that there can be a lot of divides between us. And yet God comes in and he says, if you lay down all those things, those preconceived notions, people who, you know, I see this in men all the time. Oh, a man that doesn't do that's not manly. Or I'm not sporty or I'm not this. It's like all these things we put in our life to divide. And God says, if we just lay that down and open up the doors of grace, open up the the floodgates of grace to pour out of our heart to give. See that I would not bless this church and this ministry and this city because our hearts are open. Grace unites, grace builds, and the gospel is grace. If you're in this church this morning, you can receive a gospel of grace. It doesn't matter your background. Our, our, one of our core values is accessible. It will always be accessible to you, the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. And counterpoint, in this church, if you're like me, we cannot limit or restrict who we believe receives that gospel. Those are the things we stand upon. And so like Peter, we can't pretend it doesn't exist and just wander around and say, well, I just never really noticed. I believe that God's bringing it to your doorstep. My wife and I, uh, I don't know, this isn't maybe the right way to say this, never wanted, I, I never like super want kids. Like I love kids, but I wasn't really sure like when that was going to happen. I didn't feel like very maternal. I don't maybe speaking only child. I don't know. But we had, we had a kid and then, you know, I was like, okay, we're done. That's it. And recently, God began to bring to our doorstep, the doorstep of our heart, just a, just a brokenness for people in the foster system, kids without parents. And so we were just like, oh, okay, this is not us at all. Like, why? why? A, we don't have money, <laughs> and kids take that. And B, I, I'm not re- I feel like a terrible dad 90% of the time. There's like a five-minute window that hopefully some of you see that I really crush it. But the rest of it's just kind of like, making it. Jana lives with us, she knows. <laughs> Jana's like, don't smile. Uh, <laughs> but God began to bring that on my, onto our doorstep, and I began to think I'm unqualified. I, I, I don't know how to speak into this. I don't know how to be a part of this. But a new vision began to arise in our heart, and I began to say, you know what, God, I'm just going to press in. I'm going to remove any preconceived notions. When I mean prejudice, I don't mean hate. I just mean bias against things, that God's going to begin to give you a vision and a dream. And if you limit it based off where you've been and you don't shift your perspective to where he's taking you, you will miss seeing the wholeness and the goodness. If you stay on the sad face and never come over here, you're never going to see the smile. You're never going to see the good thing. You're never going to see the hope of what God wants to do. And I believe that if he's put a vision in your heart, then all he's saying is, would you step into it? Would you take a step? Would you lay down your prejudice? Would you lay down a heart that has not given people grace for a while? And would you say, like, I'm going to begin to believe good things in people. I'm going to begin to give grace to people. I'm going to begin to give mercy to people. And you know what, God? I'm going to give judgment to you, and I'm going to receive mercy, and I'm going to walk in it. Because can I tell you, you will never regret a life that walks in grace instead of judgment. You will never regret that. 
If you live over here in the judgment spot, you're just always going to feel bitter, feel like people don't understand, feel like nobody gets it, just be judging people. If you walk over here into mercy, into grace, and you lay down your heart and say, God, I give you the fullness of myself, you will always live in the freedom and the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. I talk to people in this church, and I'll tell you if you haven't heard it, that I believe that some of you have been called to this church, called to this city, and you don't consider yourself maybe Banner Church people or Scottsdale people even. But I believe that God will call you to where you least expect it to do something you could never imagine. And that's my dream for you. If you would lay down your heart and say this morning, God, I'm not going to sit in judgment. I'm going to lay down. God, would you restore grace and mercy to me? Help me to see people as you see people. I believe that he would open those doors. I believe that he's going to open opportunity. Like I said last week, obedience is the key to opportunity in the kingdom of God. Would you stand with me this morning? Here is the prayer that I believe is the prayer of our heart this morning. Is that God, would you open my heart so I can see people as you see them? God, would you open my heart so that I can see the people in my family like you see them? God, would you open my heart so I can see the people in my city like you see them? God, would you open my heart so I can see people who are so different than me like you see them? you open my heart so I can see myself like you see me. Some of y'all don't even give grace to yourself. It's going to be hard to give it to someone else. You got to start there. Allow forgiveness. Allow change. God, would you give me your heart, your eyes, so that you can give me your hands. He wants to give you the heart before the hands. We say even in tithing, God is concerned with the wealth and condition of your heart before the wealth and condition of your hands. That is primary. That is singular. God this morning is saying, will you have my heart and my eyes? That's Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit for that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? Now it's a little long, but real quick and then I'm done. Some of you this morning, I believe that God has given you a dream and a vision. He's begin to speak. He didn't give you the details. You might not even know him, but what you saw him, you encountered him. And now you're like, what do I do with this? But I believe that God's given you a dream and a vision, a purpose in your life. But God wants to know, do you have your heart or my heart? Who sits on the throne of your heart right now? Because if Jesus is on the throne of your heart, what's going to pour out is grace. If you're on the throne of your heart, what's going to pour out is prejudice. What's going to pour out is just your attitude. What's going to pour out is enough will that you muster up that day, and the next day it's going to be hard, and maybe one day it's good. But when Christ sits on the throne of your heart, you pour out his grace, and he's saying to you, do you want me to give you my eyes and my heart? And he's asking you this morning, and I believe some of you are saying, God, would you give me your heart? I want to see people like you see people. I want my heart to break for the broken. I want my heart to long for the needy. I want my heart to reach out to those who are different than me. God, would you give me your heart? That's my prayer this morning. I've prayed this all the time. God, would you give me your heart? Would you give me your eyes? If you're like me and you're saying, just every eye bowed, every head closed. First, this morning, if you've never encountered Jesus, you're saying, I want to lay my heart down to you. 
He's even begin speaking, and now you're kind of understanding what he's been doing in your life. He gave you the, the vision, but not the details, and he started to speak to you, and now you're saying, okay, I want to surrender my heart to him. If that's you this morning, can you just raise your hand up real quick, put it up and down this morning? this morning is I'm going to ask you just a moment to raise your hand and we're going to have a time of worship together but if you're like me and you're praying God would you give me your heart a heart to see people as you see people God I need a supernatural grace in my situation for this person for this office, for this family member, whatever it is. God, I need a supernatural grace. This can't come from me. I need your heart. I need your eyes. I need your voice. God, I don't even know how to respond, but I need you. I need more of you. God, would you give me your heart to see the broken that I wouldn't just pass them by, but that I would encounter them? God, would you give me your heart? If that's you and that's your prayer, would you just raise your hand this morning and just leave it up? God, would you give me your heart? Would you give me your heart? Would you give me your eyes to see? Would you give me your heart to, to have compassion, to break for those who are broken, to hope for those who are hopeless, to love those who the world has deemed unlovable, to come near those that the world has deemed unclean. God, would you give me your heart? Just raise your hand. We're going to pray together this morning. Just leave it up. It's a confession that I'm going to make a change this morning. God, would you give me your heart? Let's declare it together. Would you give me your heart this morning? God, let's pray. God, we, we raise our hands to you and we pray. God, maybe even if we feel like we do have your heart, we just want more. We pray, God, would you give us your heart and your eyes to see. God, would you do a work in our lives so that as we encounter people in our family, in our office, in our city, on the street, in our situation, God, will we respond with the grace that you have so abundantly given. We thank you, Jesus, that though we were enemies to you, that you came and died for us, that him who had had no sin became sin for us, that we might live in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so, God, would you give us our heart that we would never limit the grace that's poured out. Holy Spirit, give us strength. Give us power that we might pour out your grace and your hope. God, give us the eyes to see and the heart.